welcome back to the second part of the first lesson of this Bible study. Uh, if, well, if you tuned in and you've already listened last week, well, I, I, welcome back. I'm thankful you're here again. Uh, if this is your first time tuning in, I would ask you right now, it's going to be most beneficial for you to just stop, to not watch this live, but to go back and watch the first part of last, week, le last week's lesson. You'll find it on, our, on the Refuge Church YouTube page or on the Facebook page if you follow Refuge Church. And so, um, and so make sure that you do that because you'll want to hear the first part of this lesson. Now, typically, moving forward in this look at God's Word, we are not going to be separating topics, similar topics, into two different weeks. Uh, but since this is about the Word of God, and everything else we're going to be looking at is going to be, well, God's Word says this, and the Bible says this. Well, if you don't have a confidence in the Bible, it doesn't matter to you what the Bible says. So we're taking extra time here at the beginning to look at the history, the translation, transmission uh, of the Bible, how we got the word. And so that's where we picked up last week, the transmission and translation process. And we can trust the fact that God didn't only give us his word, but he also preserved his word and allowed it to be translated into your known language. And so um, we're going to continue looking at this a little bit here tonight uh, in and so I pray that, that it will be a blessing to you. I would go as far as to say this, though. Every biblical debate, every biblical argument comes back to this thing. It comes back to the fact that someone somewhere either added or took away from the word of God. And we looked at our last time we got together, last time we looked at this, we saw scriptures clearly beginning of the Bible, middle of the Bible, end of the Bible, that all say, do not add, do not take away. Very clear. God is passionate about that. So God doesn't want us doing that. So everyone, I would say every debate is from someone somewhere either adding or taking away from the word of God. Just as an example, I want to set this, the tone. We're going to look at baptism and other topics later. But look at Ephesians 4, 4, through 4 and 5. It says, there is one body. And one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. So, if the scripture says there's one baptism, then why do so many people do totally opposite things? Baptism, one, one, you know, one circle of people will say, baptism is just for adults. Someone else says, no, 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 it's, it's for infants too. Someone else says, no, it needs to be done in the name of Jesus. Others say, no, 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 it's the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Someone else says, you know, you, you need to sprinkle water on them. And the other person says, no, you need to immerse them underneath the water. So if there's one baptism, according to Scripture, does God care? Well, we're, we're going to look at that topic later, but I'm simply saying that obviously someone somewhere either added or they took away from the word of God. So we're not looking at a, a history of the church. We're not looking at history just to study history. We're looking at things to say, how does it pertain to my life? Where can I find truth? Because you know what? Even though I'm teaching this Bible study, if I leave the word of God and say, oh yeah, no, my opinion, my thought on that is, you know, just plug your ears. Stop listening to me. Go ahead, cut out, tune out. Why? Because my opinion isn't going to save your life. And so Jesus Christ is the only one that he died on the cross. He gave us his word. So we have to look. What does the Bible say? I don't care 
pastor, preacher, deacon, bishop, pope, monk, it doesn't matter. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. And so we need to look at the word, and that's why we're putting so much emphasis here at the beginning on the word of God and that you can trust the word. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. And as we continue to study it and look at it, I just pray, let it come to life for someone. Maybe it's never come to life for someone in a powerful way, in a life-changing way. Let that be so. Lord God, help me to do a great job communicating. Your word, it doesn't need help. It doesn't need anointing. It's powerful. But God, help me to adequately communicate the principles of your word. I pray in your name, Jesus' name, amen. So as you read the Bible, I just a little bit more about the word. Originally, there were no chapters and verses in the Bible. Could you imagine? I mean, like right now we can say, oh, my, my Bible opens to the 46th Psalm. Or we can go to Daniel chapter 9 or 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And you can look through, you know, right now, Psalm, the 46th Psalm is on page 897. If you, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because it doesn't matter. It depends on your size font. My page 897 might be different than yours. But could you imagine trying to navigate to a scripture without chapters and verses? That was added in the translation process. And I'm honestly, I'm thankful for that. And so it was one continuous writing. But how do we know that what we have now was inspired by God? Let's ask the hard question. To the Christians, the Bible is the inspired word of God, and such it claims to be the sole authority. You know, in our day and age, there, a lot of people will say there's no absolute truth. Truth is relative. I disagree with that. The Bible is absolute truth. And so we can, we can look to the Bible and find answers of life. And so don't ever allow anyone to cheapen the Bible. Oh, it's an ancient book. or Oh, it's contradiction. Oh, it was written by man. And people will say all these things, but we're, we're, we've already looked at this the last time in the last lesson, but we're looking at this again here this evening. And to, to discredit the Bible, some, some people say, well, you know, I don't have an original manuscript. I don't have an original copy that, that Moses, if he wrote it, I don't have his papyrus is i don't have that that reed that he wrote i don't have that vellum i don't have it and so i can't believe it you know that that to me seems a little bit preposterous because william shakespeare people will celebrate romeo and juliet or all these different plays that that william shakespeare was responsible for that would be like me saying you know what i don't believe william shakespeare wrote romeo and juliet i don't believe it no, no, I'm not believing in any of these Macbeth or Romeo. I don't believe it. I don't, I don't care because I don't have the piece of paper that he wrote the play on. And you know what? It was originally in this language. It's translated in this language. So I don't trust it because I can't talk to William Shakespeare himself and I don't have the, the napkin that he wrote on. I mean, come on. Are you, are you serious right now? So I just, the Bible is literally God's word to us. And he has been so powerful into, in order to give us the word and then preserve the word, translate the word. I don't need the original piece of vellum that Moses might have penned something on. I couldn't have read it anyway because I don't read Hebrew. But the Bible is God's word to us. Let it come to life. That's the way he intended it to be. First, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture, not majority, some, most, all, all of it, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Now, that word inspiration 
Do you know that inspiration here means God breathed? That means scriptures came from the very breath of God himself. And so uh, the, the Bible tells us, when we read the Bible, the Bible says things like what he likes and doesn't like, what he expects from us, what happens if we obey him, what happens if we don't. It guides us through these issues that we face in life, whether it was 600, 700, 4,000 years ago, or it's today. The, there's, there's, there's principles that are timeless that guide us through life. It encourages us. It strengthens us. And, and all major religions claim revelation through their deities and some of their basic religious books. The Mormons have the Book of Mormon. Uh, the Muslims have the Koran. The Christians have the Bible. Yet many of the books that other religions were written, when you look at them, they, they have religious books that were written hundreds of years after the Bible. And when you read them, with, with all due respect, when you read them, there is often a, 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 a biblical foundation with a twist. Almost like some of the other religious books may have used the Bible as a reference. Yet many of the books of other religions, they, they, for instance, the Bible, the Bible was completed. I'll, I'll go back to that. The Bible was completed at the end of the first century. The Quran was uh, completed in 632 AD. That's more than 500 years after the Bible. The Bible is the only book that is built on the prophecies and seeing those prophecies fulfilled. It makes internal declarations that it is, in fact, the word of God and not just something given to a prophet. Ancient archaeological evidence supports the fa Bible's facts, names, and figures. Oh, it just takes faith to believe the Bible. Yes, it does, but we have more than faith. We do have archaeological evidence that supports the names, facts, and figures. I want to talk about this a little bit. You may or may not have heard the Bible referred to as the canon. Canon comes from a Greek word meaning rod or reed. It implies a straight rod. A reed was employed in measuring, and so the word came to be used in the sense of a measuring rod. From the middle of the 4th century onward, uh, the, the word came to be used in, in, in conjunction, in connection with the sacred writings of the Old and New Testaments. There were a lot of people writing in the Hellenistic, the Greek-influenced culture of that day. But the canon is a list of, of authorized and inspired scriptures. How do we know what books belong in the canon? Different religions have different canons. In Judaism, the canon consists of the Old Testament only. In Protestant Christianity, the canon is the body of scripture comprised of 39 Old Testament books and 27 New Testament books. That's personally what I adhere to. That is the canon, the, the Holy Bible, the Word of God, what you often will buy in a Christian bookstore in this modern day. Now, in Mormonism, four additional books have been added to the canon, which is the Book of Mormon, the Book of Abraham, the Doctrine of Co and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. In Roman Catholicism, additional books were added in 1546. These books are known as the Apocryphal Books, and there's a list of those, Wisdom of Solomon, 1st uh, and 2nd Maccabees. The Protestant movement has not accepted the Apocryphal Books as canon. So, yet many of these holy books were written by men without a claim 
of inspiration by God. They were lacking prophecies, and they don't have apostolic reference. When I say apostolic, I'm not referring to a religion. I'm saying the apostles. The apostles didn't reference it. Whether or not Jesus and the apostles referenced a book factored in a ton as to whether it carried weight as being a part of the canon. Again, some of you may find this not very interesting. Some may find it interesting, but I need to address it because when you pick up different Bibles, it comes up to me all the time. Well, why, did, why doesn't that Bible have this book? This book has that Bible. What's going on? And so I want you to have a brief understanding of that. Let's look at the reasons why God, why the Word of God has authority and the books in the Protestant Bible are viewed as canonized. First, one of the things that points to the uniqueness and power of God's Word are fulfilled prophecies. The Bible not only foretells events, but also shows how God carried these events out. We get to see the end result of prophecy in many cases. No one other than the true God of the Bible can predict things accurately about the future, and then it comes to pass like that. And the ability to prophesy was one of the barometers used in the Old Testament to provide proof of a deity during that day and time. Look at Isaiah 41, 21. It says, produce your cause, saith the Lord, bring forth your strong reason, saith the king of Jacob. Let them, let them bring them forth and show us what shall happen. Let them show the former things what they, sh what they be, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them, or declare us things for to come, meaning things in the future, things not here yet. Show, show us the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's. Yea, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed to behold together. What is this essentially saying? This is King James in English. You might have gone, thee, thou, what is that? What this scripture is saying is, hey, I want to see if you're really a God, a deity. Tell us not just what has happened, but tell us what is to come. Tell us what's on the horizon. The odds against a prophecy coming to pass are absolutely astronomical. I mean, could you imagine me saying to you, let's say there's a, a, a single female watching right now, and I could say, well, you know what, you are going to um, get married on this date, the name of your future husband is going to be this, and I'm not talking about somebody that's engaged and is getting married next week, I'm talking about somebody that has no, no boyfriend, nothing, you're going to be married on this day, here's his name, you guys are going to have this many kids, you're going to live at this address, here's what your jobs are going to be, and here's how you're going to serve in ministry at your local church. And 23, 27, 40 years later, these things come to pass. I mean, that would be mind-blowing if all of those things to the T were described. Yet that's what we find over and over and over again in Scripture. Now, God, he didn't, the Bible didn't just predict astounding events, but he it predicted them. And then we see them oftentimes come to pass. You know, one of the, one of the things about the Bible is people say, well, for years, naysayers would say, the Bible's not true. It predicts that Israel, again, is going to be gathered from the four corners of the earth, and, and they were destroyed in, in, in 70 AD, and, and yeah, so that, that doesn't happen. And so through the centuries, Israel wasn't a nation, and, and the Bible said they would be a nation. And so they would say, oh, see, look at that right there. But guess what? On May 15, 1948, Israel became the only nation in history to be completely destroyed, but yet born again and reemerge as a nation once again. Okay, what an amazing prophecy. That was proof of the Bible. It was a fulfilled prophecy. And so uh, the second test of which books are viewed as canon are the internal declarations state that the Bible is the word of God. Many times in the Bible, you will read, this is the word of the Lord. God said, God spoke, 
the things that I'm giving you, write down in a book. That's what he says to Jeremiah. Jesus even declared Moses' writings were scripture. Look at John 5, 46 and 47. He says, For had ye believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Jesus is putting his stamp of approval on what Moses wrote. But if you believe not his writings, how will you believe my words? He's challenging people. If, you're, if you can't believe the writings of Moses that I inspired him to write, you're not going to believe the things I say. Jesus also included the prophets. Because you have the law, the prophets, the Psalms, and, and, and poetic books. And he, he, he identifies and addresses all of them as scripture. Look at Luke 2, 24, 44. He said, these are the words which I spoke unto you while I was with you. That all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses. And in the prophets. And in the Psalms concerning me. He completely addressed things that are in the Bible. He, he viewed them as canon, without using that word, but as, as part of the, the, the inspired word of God. And the apostles also regularly referenced Old Testament scriptures in their modern day. So now the third thing, why, why are these books canonized? External evidence also points to the Bible as God's word. Some critics disallow the scripture's testimony of itself as the word of God. But there are also extra biblical sources, such as archaeological findings. I said last week, I was blessed to go to, to, to Jerusalem. I was blessed to walk through a museum that had all these artifacts. I took pictures with my own phone that, of the artifacts that, that, that talked about the tombs they found and, and the, the ossuaries, which are boxes for people's bones that were well off and and you, there were things about Herod and there were things about Isaiah and and it's amazing it is amazing I could do I, and I've done it in our local church a whole lesson two weeks of just archaeological finds that proved the Bible it's facts names and figures William Fulbright known for his reputation as one of the greatest archaeologists has a whole school named after him Stated, and I quote, there can be no doubt that archaeology has confirmed the substantial historicity of our Old Testament tradition. A Yale archaeologist similarly wrote, archaeological work has unquestionably strengthened confidence in the reliability of scriptural record. More than one archaeologist, and I'm still quoting, has found his respect for the Bible increased by the experience of excavation in Palestine. The accounts of ancient historians corroborate, I can't even speak right now, the biblical accounts. For example, ancient historians named Josephus and Tacitus, they also testify to the life of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ walked this earth, the New Testament had not been written yet. He, I mean, they were living the New Testament, but they did have the Old Testament. And that's why Jesus, he gave his clear endorsement of the Old Testament. He clearly approved the account even of Adam and Eve. Well, Moses wrote that account and he wasn't there. Jewish culture is so strong on oral tradition. That's why God says, teach it to your children. When you wake up in the morning, walk by the way, sit down to eat, go to bed. They, they were so strong. They still to this day are. And so Moses wasn't there, but oral tradition had been passed down in writings and in stories that he was able to record these under the inspiration of God's spirit and anointing, and even God, even Jesus, he, he, he clearly approves of the account of Adam and Eve. Look at Matthew 19, 4 and 5. He answered and said to them, have you not read that 
he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. For this cause, shall, he said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. That's exactly what we read in Genesis. And Jesus is quoting this as inspired, as being from God. Jesus also clearly approved of the second uh, and seconded the account of Noah in the ark. Matthew 24, 37, he's talking about last days, and he says, as the days of Noah were, so shall it be also the coming of the Son of Man. In the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and knew not when the flood, until the flood came and took them all away. It's going to be like that when the Son of Man comes back. This is exactly what we read in Genesis. And here Jesus is quoting it and saying, hey, just like we said back then, I'm, it's, the, it's my word. It hasn't changed. And so you look at how the New Testament offers internal evidence of Old Testament accounts. And you can see that on your screen right now. There's several different, op, uh, different evidence, different points of, of, of evidence that show that. So clearly, Jesus not only knew the Old Testament scriptures, but he also taught from them, believed them, and put a stamp of approval on them. And you know what? If Jesus trusted the Bible, if Jesus trusted the Bible, and he was confident in it, because it's his word, I'm going to be confident and trust it too. I completely trust the word of God in my language that I hold in my hand today. I am eternally grateful for every person who has sacrificed and even died to make our translations possible. And to make it so that the common man and woman can read this powerful, life-changing book. And I'm thankful that God laid it on their hearts to preserve the text. But look at our copies of the Bible. Until recently, we possessed no copies, no copies of Hebrew text earlier than the 9th century AD. This gave ammunition to naysayers who would doubt the Bible. Well, we don't have anything we're classifying as ancient. By not having anything earlier than that, we were limited in our ability to compare texts and prove the accuracy of translations with ancient texts. But guess what happened? Beginning in 1947, discoveries in the Middle East near Qumran caves in the Judean wilderness provided the greatest find of biblical manuscripts in recent times. We found... Not me, I wish I was there, but it would have been 1947, and I'm not that old anyway. But they found, in 1947, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are ancient religious writings found in 11 caves near the site of Qumran in the Middle Eastern Desert in the Dead Sea, near the Dead Sea. The, the scrolls were found when Bedouin goat herders discovered the first scrolls. One of them left his flock of sheep and goats. To, they were, it was searching for a stray, and uh, it was on limestone cliffs in the northwestern rim of the Dead Sea. And so what happened is, intrigued, one of the goats got into a, into a, a, a hole, and so he, he, he heard something break. I don't remember the story if he threw something in there or else there was a goat in there, and he heard pottery, like a sound of pottery shattering. And so he ran in there to try and see what was going on, and what that Bedouin goat herder found was the greatest discovery that we have in archaeology for the Bible. It was the Dead Sea Scrolls. To this day, just outside Jerusalem's old city walls, that picture you're looking at, I was blessed to go through that 
That picture you're looking at is the shrine of the book. It was built in 1965 to house uh, the seven scrolls that were found. The vast manuscript treasury known as the Dead Sea Scrolls includes a small number of near-complete scrolls and tens of thousands of scriptural fragments representing 900 different texts, both biblical and non-biblical, written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Among the scrolls are partial incomplete, hear this, among the scrolls are either partial or complete copies of every single biblical book in the Protestant Bible with the exception of Esther. We found manuscripts that point to every biblical book with the exception of Esther. Many biblical manuscripts closely resemble the Masoretic text, the accepted text of the Hebrew Bible from the second half of the first millennium. But this similar, it's, it's amazing because you can roll out these scrolls and they have them on display. I look at them, I can't read them. They're in Hebrew, a little bit Aramaic. But when you look through them, the experts have said that the scrolls, when you compare modern translation, even like in the book of Isaiah, there's like 17 variations and most of them come with uh, uh, letters and spelling and conjunctions. It is amazing what we hold in our hands, how it compares to ancient manuscripts. God has always preserved and kept his word. So as I bring this, this lesson to a close, why did God choose this way to preserve his word? God has always chosen humankind to be the one who disseminates and protects and preserves and writes his word. If it was you or I, I, I probably would have just chosen angels, sent it. You know, I would have done it differently. I, I think about it. If you were given the task to write the word of God, to stand forever, and then you had to come up with a plan to preserve it, we probably wouldn't have used us. You know, we would have, we would have secured those original manuscripts. They would be at Fort Knox or something. You know, they would be behind, you, you know, uh, the biggest lockbox that you would have to have multiple scans of security to have access to, the, so that at any time, any naysayers would say, yes, let me take you in to the actual writing, that, the actual piece of, of vellum, papyrus, whatever it is, that Moses penned. I'm going to take you, this, this is the paper that Moses wrote on. That's the way we would do it. But that's never been God's way. And that's, that shouldn't surprise us. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The world says, prove it to me. Come on. Prove it to me and then I'll believe it. But God has always been opposite of that. God says, no, 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 no. Believe me. And then I'll prove it. So you're going to find that as we study the Bible, the Bible is almost always countercultural. It goes against the thoughts of a fleshly society oftentimes. And so it shouldn't surprise us that God chose a different way to, to, to preserve his word. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So we would say, man, I would do it a different way. Well, that's not the way he did it. And as we embark on this Bible study together, his word is going to challenge our thinking. And we're going to find 
that, you know, God, he's going to say, if we don't have faith, it's impossible to please him. But yes, I think there's archaeological proof. I think that there is so much history that points to the fact that we can trust this book. But truthfully, at the end of the day, it does take faith. And I could tell you, well, I don't really understand electricity. You know, I don't, I don't understand as I wrap this up. I don't understand electricity. And uh, we got an electrical outlet around here. I don't understand electrical. I don't believe it. I don't believe in electricity. But guess what? If I take a hanger and I stick it down in an electrical socket, electricity is going to be alive and real whether I believe in it or not. And so you may say, well, I don't believe in it. Well, I, can, I can get red in the face and sweat and say, no, you got to believe it because I believe in the word so much. But if I hold up an orange and say, this is an orange, look, it's an orange. I mean, come on, taste it, look at it, it's orange. And you say, no, that's an apple. It's an orange, are you kidding me? No, it's an apple. I can't change your mind. You have the right to make your own choices. But do you know what? At the end of the day, everything that we believe, it takes some element of faith. Even how the world came into existence, no one was there. So no matter if you believe in creation, evolution, it all takes some level of faith. And that's what we're going to look at the next time that we get together next week. God bless you.